Hi folks, I'm Adam Skandarani and you are listening to the Brilliant Dog Pod, where we're talking all things dog training. The only rules, it's got to be effective, it's got to be fair, and it's got to be fun. Hi folks. Before we get started today, I would like to expand on something from last week. I had said that recalls are uh, a set of skills that are glued together by your relationship with your dog. And if you don't have a good relationship with your dog, then these skills will fall apart. But I never expanded on what a good relationship is. And that was brought to my attention this week um, by one of my listeners. And it's a really good question that they asked. And it was, um, how do you operationalize your relationship with your dog? And that's a really good question. And I can't believe that I overlooked that piece last week. And so I'm going to address it today. I like to work within Grisha uh, Stewart's safe framework, and um, so she asks a few questions um, within that, that framework, and it's, does your dog feel safe around you? Can your dog express their needs and their desires? And does the guardian effectively soothe and connect with the dog? And do the dog and human delight in each other? And does the caregiver support the dog's curiosity and exploration? That is the framework from which I work. And I think that being able to answer all of those questions effectively um, will help you determine whether or not you have a good relationship with your dog. So how I determine that I have a good relationship with my dogs is that my dogs seek me out in their discomfort. Um, They look to me when they are unhappy or sad or confused or curious or something like that. Not necessarily curious. I, I kind of want them to be curious out in the world. Um, but I want my dogs to know that they feel safe around me. I want my dogs to know that I will provide for them if they need anything from me. Um, and I do this by constantly showing up for them. So having a good relationship with your dog is, is putting in the effort. It's, it's a lot of effort on your end as their guardian, as their human. And these are this framework, Grisha Stewart's framework, is a really, really good way to find out if you do have a good relationship with your dog and how to create a good relationship with your dog. Um, I also think that having a good relationship with your dog means that you enjoy each other's company, which is one of the questions that Grisha asks. And um, on your worst days, do you enjoy your dog? What do you do with your dogs when you have a bad day? How do you tell your dogs that you just don't want to be around them? Like, for example, when I'm having a bad day or I'm having a chronic pain flare and Wibble wants to bounce all over me because he's a naughty teenager and that's what he does and I don't want him to because I'm in a lot of pain like I was yesterday, then I'm going to put him away in his X-Pen with a bully stick or some other chewy and tell him how much I love him and go away from him so that I don't bring my negative energy around him and so that he doesn't do something to accidentally um, really hurt me and cause me to um, have a visceral response that is unpleasant to my dog. I never want to be a source of fear for my dog. I don't want my dogs to be scared of me. I, I want my dogs to try things around me. I want my dogs to fuck around because they will never find out, basically. Um, that kind of thing. Um, so that is my opinion on what makes a good relationship with your dog. And I think that's a really good framework to work from and, and within. So thank you very much for your question. I can't believe I overlooked that in the discussion last week, and I uh, hope that this satisfies. I hope that this answer satisfies. 
Today, I'd like to introduce you to my friend Walker, who is a four and a half year old foxhound who we thought for the longest time was a coonhound. Walker was an extremely fear reactive dog towards other dogs, and he also had a problem with pulling on leash excessively. Um, he's a hound, so he has to bay about everything and anything that bothers him and so that resulted in some alarm barking out his window which was a problem because it wasn't just some alarm barking it was a lot of alarm barking and walker and his human davis lived in a very kid and dog heavy apartment building at the time so it was happening quite a lot Walker's problems were exacerbated by the fact that he had to spend time with his grandparents in the city of Boston, and that didn't go very well for him. He was constantly overwhelmed and trigger stacked while in the city and incredibly difficult for his grandparents to control. He was adopted from the South and had been to another trainer prior to seeing me, um, but Davis didn't feel like they were getting the help that they needed from that trainer. And so his mother helped him find me in the Friends for Control Unleashed Facebook group run by Leslie McDevitt and a few other uh, Control Unleashed certified instructors um, on Facebook. Davis's goals for Walker were simple. He really wanted him to just be able to walk on leash by other dogs without losing his shit at them. I mean, he also wanted to resolve his alarm barking out the window and his pulling on leash, but like that kind of was secondary considering he lived in an incredibly dog heavy apartment complex. So it was of the utmost importance that we address Walker's feelings towards other dogs. This was a little bit more than a struggle for us, uh, especially because initially Walker had some pickiness in terms of eating. He wasn't a consistent eater of his meals, let alone taking treats out in public. So we resolved his pickiness of eating by uh, feeding him his meals completely out of a snuffle mat because one of the ways Davis was able to convince Walker to eat his breakfast was by putting it either in a snuffle mat or bribing him with some toppers. And since we knew he would eat consistently out of a snuffle mat, we just fed him from a snuffle mat his entire meal from the very beginning without having to add anything after an initial refusal to help get him to eat. This way, we eliminated that initial refusal of food. Since then, Walker has been consistently eating his meals either from his snuffle mat or even from a bowl now, which is great. Another thing that complicated this was that. Walker had a pretty non-existent threshold when it came to dogs. It was a reaction on site, regardless of how far away they were, be they 100 feet, 200 feet, 500 feet, a football's length away, football field's length away, or wherever. Just on site, he would start reacting. 
When creating training plans, I like to look from the big picture in. And so what that looks like is we have these big goals, um, like the ones I talked about um, earlier with Walker. And we take those goals and we break them into smaller, more attainable goals and build on our successes from there until we reach our big lofty goals um, that are the big picture. So basically we plan from the outside in and then we work from the inside out. So we took our big long-term outcome-based goals and turned them into short-term process-based goals. And what that means is that Outcome-based goals include our overall goals. They are based in the outcome. So an outcome-based goal would look like, I want Walker to be able to pass by other dogs without reacting when we're out on our walks. And process-based goals have to do with the process in which we attain our goals. So what that looks like is, Adam will take Walker out twice a week, once for day, uh, decompression walks, and once for day training and other types of setups, training setups. And we will also meet once a week for in-person coaching, thus meaning we will meet three times a week. And so I just outlined the process with which we will achieve a goal um and the steps i would take to achieve them and you would ideally also put a time limit on them so we would do this for one month i hope that made sense so the first step that we took for the in-person coaching part of this was that we created a reward marker system that is both easy for Davis and his parents to use and reliable for Walker to cash in on. And I taught Davis three location-specific markers, which I like to teach all my clients, and that's where I start all my clients out. These three markers are one to mean come take this piece of food out of my hand, which for me and the dogs that I work with, it's the word here. And one to mean I am tossing a piece of food on the ground, get it. And one to mean I am placing a handful of food on the ground for you to snuffle and forage for. And for me, that is the word scatter. It took Walker a little while to be able to utilize this um, marker system out in the real world since he was always so over threshold the moment he left his apartment but he took to it quite easily and quickly inside the apartment so we had a place where we were able to start next i helped davis implement some control unleashed pattern games to help walker normalize his triggers while out on walks Pattern games I love because they are so easy for the humans to use and they're easy for the dogs to learn. They are predictable and comforting and they really do help the dogs process their triggers from a really safe framework.
And for a while, that is where our in-person coaching focused on, as well as transferring the skills and the knowledge that Walker gained on his field trips with me, uh, transferring all of that over to Davis as well. In addition to this, we also implemented some management techniques to help Walker just cope with himself and cope with all his triggers while in the city with his grandparents. Um, this was of the utmost importance because his grandparents are um, unable to handle him at his worst. He's a strong dog. He's an impulsive dog. And once he has decided that something is unsafe, it is unsafe. And so it wasn't always the safest for, him, for them to walk him. Uh, and so we implemented some management techniques there, including putting him on a halty, um, which is like a face harness. And that was immensely helpful for Walker while he was with his grandparents in the city. So for a while, I took Walker out on field trips twice a week, every week, and we started on Mondays. We started every Monday with a decompression walk out in the woods, and usually Wednesdays would be a day where I took him out to... Um, do setups or work on other types of desensitization counter conditioning protocols. So what is a decompression walk? Um, a decompression walk is a walk out in nature on a harness and long line, but ideally off leash if possible, where a dog is free to move his body in nature. And for Walker especially, he would be able to use his nose and satiate that need as a scent hound and give him agency as much as possible. So he learned how to get what he wants and he learned that he's allowed to seek out what he wants. So we really leaned heavily on activating the seeking system in his brain, which just looks for the fruits of your environment. That's how the seeking system works in our brains. Um, and those fruits of our environment could just be things that we can eat or drink or even safety. It took about four outings with Walker, uh, decompression walks specifically, so I guess eight outings, um, for Walker to even eat a single piece of food on his decompression walks. And once he ate that single piece of food, I consider that a huge, huge success. And once we were able to get him eating consistently, I think that took about maybe a month um, longer. I was able to add my own dogs, Flash and my late boxer, Sansa, to his decompression walks for some remedial socialization. And it's really funny. I feel so bad because the very first time Walker met Flash was the first time he met another dog while he was with me. And they spent a half an hour in the car together while we drove to the woods that I like to take dogs to. 
And um, as soon as we got out of the car, Flash decided the correct answer was to jump him. And he is not normally a dog who does that. So it took me by surprise. And he didn't hurt Walker or anything, but he didn't do himself any favors in gaining Walker's trust. (laughs) Um, It was a little embarrassing to admit it to Davis that that happened. But here we go. I am someone who always admits when something doesn't go according to plan because I believe my clients deserve full disclosure. Over time, and as his list of skills grew and his need to just sniff and track and move his body were satiated, um, I began adding more dogs to Walker's field trips and decompression walks specifically, and I began expanding his friend circle. And by the end of our time together, he had a really nice group of friends going. He had an Aussie who was also Barky Lungy, a lab who was socially beautiful, and she was just coming out with me for extra exercise. Um, a few boxers, more than just my own. He also had Flash's cousin join us a few times. Uh, he had the occasional doodle or two and a Shiba Inu. And Walker really valued his decompression walks and really valued his time in nature. And that is something that Davis keeps up to this day. It is definitely a need that Walker has that without it on a regular basis, um, some of his problem behaviors do begin to crop back up again. Earlier, I had said that it took four outings, four decompression walks before Walker would eat a single piece of food. And I'm not talking about kibble or zooks or anything like that. I'm talking he would not eat chicken nuggets from McDonald's. He would not eat hamburgers from McDonald's. He wouldn't eat meatballs. He wouldn't eat cheese, nothing out in the world. And so one day I had turkey meatballs with me from Stop and Shop and I just offered him one like I did periodically and he sniffed it and took it. And that was the only piece of food he took that entire outing. It took maybe another six outings total for him to eat anything that was remotely high value um, consistently. And I'm talking about including day train sessions, not just decompression walks. Things Walker considered to be high value included um, those turkey meatballs from Stop and Shop. Um he would consider certain types of cheese to be high value. Um, The stinkier, the more high value. Um, And he really liked deli meat. Um, I think he really liked the high salt content of deli meat. And he got quite a lot of it, which means he got quite a lot of water as well. I don't recommend feeding a lot of deli meat to dogs um, on a regular basis because of the high salt content, but also... We had to get him eating something out in the world to be able to work through his feelings. And that is what we ended up doing. So for a short period of time, yes, he was getting gross, high-value deli meat and salami and things like that um, a couple of times a week. 
I also worked really hard on pre-macking his eating. And what the pre-mac principle states is that a high probability behavior can be used to reinforce a low probability behavior. Um, and the way we like to say that simply is if you eat your broccoli, then you can eat dessert. So the reward for eating your broccoli or Brussels sprouts is you get to eat your dessert. And eating dessert is a high probability behavior to the low probability behavior of eating your leafy, iron-rich greens. Um, if you ask me, I personally have never had a problem eating broccoli or Brussels sprouts, and I think that the both are quite delicious, but I am not the person that that metaphor was created for, obviously. So I put go sniff on a cue for him. Very, very quickly, I was able to just pair that word with him going for a sniff. And once we did that, I was able to then reinforce him eating food with releasing him to go sniff. So instead of eating food being the reinforcement, it was a reinforceable behavior. It took quite a while, but we have since been able to lower the value of food that Walker eats out in the world to just dry treats and kibble, and this is also in the presence of other dogs. So we also worked really hard on improving Walker's relationship with his owner, Davis, and we did that mainly through improving his communication with Davis or Davis's communication with Walker. And as mentioned, we started that with um, creating that marker system for Walker, as well as playing control unleashed pattern games. Um, in terms of management, we taught Walker how to yield to leash pressure so that when he hits the end of the leash, he turns around to eat a piece of food. We also taught him to accept collar grabs. We never quite got him to the point where he was willingly putting his collar in Davis's hand, but that's okay. We got him to the point where he was not shying away from Davis's hand when he would reach for his collar or harness. We also taught Walker Magnet Hand from Dr. Amy Cook's Reactive Dog uh, Management Program. And that was incredibly helpful for him, especially in the city. Um, we also taught the grandparents the importance of um, minimizing reactions and minimizing opportunities for Walker to react. Um, and of course, we added the halty to his walks for his grandparents so that they could have better control of him for safety reasons while they were watching him in the city. And that improved everybody's lives, including Walker's life, immensely. After we wrapped up Walker's intense coaching, uh, we kept up his field trips two to three times a week for about a year and a half until Wibble came home and I had to readjust my schedule. Um, we also discovered and worked through some health issues with Walker. He had low platelets and he had a couple of scares there, um, which we found out um, actually played into his reactivity quite a bit.
And now Walker lives in a house with a huge yard, so no more dog-heavy apartment complex that had him living in a trigger stack state. He goes with a dog walker multiple days a week, and for a long time before they moved to this house, Walker had continued his decompression walks and outings in nature with a previous dog walker prior to their move. And although he doesn't get that on a regular basis anymore from his dog walker, he still gets it on a regular basis from Davis. And he is able to greet dogs with quick and appropriate greetings, and then he moves on. This is both on leash and off leash. And he does have a nice group of dog friends. He is far more manageable in the city for his grandparents when they need to watch him. And he also got to meet his new cousin Finn, a beagle, who um, is just such a delightful little creature. And I helped facilitate this greeting um, a couple of weeks ago. And if you are interested, I put up a video of Walker's initial introduction to Finn up on my Patreon. Um, if you want to head over there and take a look at how that went. I also had Wibble there to facilitate this greeting as a dog who uh, Walker knows. He's not particularly a fan of Wibble because Wibble likes to get in his face and he doesn't like dogs in his face. But he is incredibly appropriate with how he manages that these days, so I never worry about it. He is an incredibly safe dog to have my puppy around. And so I had Wibble with me to facilitate this greeting and give Finn, the beagle, a playmate to occupy himself with for when Walker wanted nothing to do with him. And there were moments where Walker wanted nothing to do with either of them. Finn and Wibble would be playing um, near us, the humans, and um, Walker would be hiding in the shade over by the house or on the porch or somewhere far, far away from us, often baying at us in distress dislike and distaste. It was kind of funny. We initially had the greeting happen outside um, in Davis's really spacious backyard, and then we moved the group inside to see how they would handle a tighter space. And you guys, Walker handled it like a champ. From a dog who could not stand the sight of another dog uh, at any distance, to being able to accept and even interact with an 11-week-old puppy safely without a muzzle um, has been his greatest achievement. So I would say that Davis has met his goal and exceeded it. Walker was one of my favorite dogs to work with, and he remains one of my favorite dogs that I have ever worked with. And it has been such a pleasure to help him feel better in his own skin. With the help of medication, I mean, I do believe I forgot to mention the medication bit. We, we put him on Prozac pretty early on. And um, it helped immensely, and Davis is actually successfully weaning him off of the Prozac at this point. So um, I can give an update over on Patreon how that's going. But he still is one of my favorite dogs, and 
I am so glad that I had the pleasure of working with him and with Davis. And I'm so glad that I get like that. I have the pleasure of uh, Davis's friendship as well. Walker's is a case that reminds me that although there are a lot of moving pieces and some things seem to be overwhelmingly a lot, that doesn't mean that they cannot be broken down into manageable chunks. It doesn't mean that we are at a loss and we should just throw anything out there and hope that something sticks. I took a very systematic approach to my working with Walker and it paid off in the long run and he is a much happier dog for it. So don't forget that when you are faced with a lot and you are faced with um, behavior problems that seem to be out of your control to just stop and take a deep breath and work to find a professional to work with you on these behaviors and work through a training plan that looks from the big picture in that you are able to then implement from the inside out. So you want to be able to take your training plan, um, you want to take your goals and you want to be able to go, okay, so in order to achieve X goal, I need Y and Z skills. And in order to teach Y skills, I need A, B, C. And in order to teach A, I need D, E, F. Until you get down to the tiniest, smallest piece of your training plan that you can get to. And for me, those tiniest, tiniest foundation pieces are always building a communication system of three location-specific markers and teaching um, two or three control unleashed pattern games. Those are always the building blocks from which I can build everything else I need from. I hope you have found Walker's story to be helpful to you, and I hope that you found the way that I break down my training plans to be helpful as well. I will likely want to go and delve deeper into how I implement my training plans and come up with them. Well, come up with them and then implement them. Uh, <laughs> trying to put the car before the horse there, aren't I? Um, and. I'll probably do that over on Patreon. So you're going to want to join Patreon to check that out. Um, so yeah, until next time, uh, happy training. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to support the podcast in a more tangible way, you can head over to my Patreon, linked in the show notes, and show your support that way. Until next time.